1: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart.
0: Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Abner Marez is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. But not our girls, David. We're the dad to our two little girls. Perfect. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike. Abner is a pro at entertaining the world, both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Mades, you see how to throw in a little spice there. You can say Mares, you can say Mades, you know, just a little bit of the sauce. We'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man that he is. They chat about topics like the state of boxing, sports, music, culture, and family life, and being a husband and a girl dad, which we're familiar with. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Mades wherever you get your podcasts, Episodes in English out on Tuesdays. And this, I think, is actually really freaking cool. Episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. Uh, TBD, if he says, Garrigillam. Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, it is indeed a Womp Womp Wednesday. Not one we expected, but one that we are here for. Uh, it's our 2020 season review, because sure does feel like something ended. And with me this week, uh, here to tell you why the season may in fact be over, it's David Newman. Pack it up, guys.
1: Fuck 2020. Yeah. Let's get out of here. Let's 20, just, we'll see 2020 was, uh, All right?
0: Yeah. 2020 you know no one wanted to be a part of 2020 not even the niners (laughs) no made that very clear
1: made that very clear on sunday
0: i got a tweet from someone who was like man i'm gonna need you guys to talk me off the ledge like you came to the the wrong place my guy (laughs) i didn't i didn't have the heart to tell him i was like man there there are a lot of times where i will look at the state of the team and be like yeah you know what there's there's something here um I don't know that this is one of them. <laughs> um, let's let's talk let's talk about it because that's I mean that's that's a hell of an open right there. I mean I've got I've got my pedicolas logger here ready to go. A buddy of mine uh, visited from Dallas. We quarantined for two weeks so that we could spend Texas OU weekend together because I really wanted to get kicked in the dick this weekend uh, and lose in four overtimes on Saturday uh, and then lose my soul on Sunday. Uh, Can I admit something really ra-
1: quick about that Texas OU game? Yeah, I turned it off with. Uh, like five minutes left after after he he, thought it was in the bag yeah he threw that interception in the end zone and i was like all right what other games we got going on i think alabama was starting or something like that i was like let's let's get to something better
0: i i was
1: not too far behind you i was not too far behind you but we left it on we were kind of milling
0: about uh and and then all of a sudden you know the drive happens and you're like okay and then you know they kick it off and it's like okay so yeah i mean it, it still ended poorly um i mean sam ellinger loves his uh, game-ending interceptions in overtime. He's had like three of those at this point in his career. But uh, we're, we're now at a point in time after week five where the Niners got embarrassed by a team that they had no business being embarrassed by. Uh, and I guess the only solace is that, I guess, no one paid to see it in person uh, because it's, it's really... I think the first place where we'll probably start is that it, it's, it really is understandable that the defense is this bad because they've got a lot of injuries to some really key pieces. Um, And at the beginning of the game, you think to yourself, it is almost like the Niners signed a bunch of street free agents to play corner and defensive line because they did. So this was like, it it, it did not surprise me that the dolphins could at least move the ball against the Brian Allen's and Jamar
1: Taylor's of the world. Right. Like, so so there's like two things going on, right? Like you you do have to admit that just like they they were bad. They they were very bad. What happened on Sunday was very bad. There's no way around it. There's no way to spin it to make it better than than it actually was. But defensively, like you said, they they have uh some very understandable defensible reasons why that happened, right? Like when you're you're throwing guys in off the street like It's very unrealistic to expect those guys to come in and play at the same level as, um, in some cases, the very good players that they're replacing, right? Some of uh, the Fortnite's best defenders are not in the lineup right now. And so when you're having that drop from, uh, you know, a very good, maybe even all-pro caliber player, you know, in the case of somebody like Bosa and Sherman, um, down to just somebody that was freely available on the open market, like, that's, that's going to be a huge loss for your defense. And so um, things were very ugly, but th- th- there's not really a whole lot that they can do about it.
0: Yeah, you think of the the players that were there, and they were they were literally assigned off the street, uh, Brian Allen and Jamar Taylor. Jamar Taylor was someone who was with the team in camp, but then was released and then re-signed when they realized that Kwan Williams was going to spend some time on the sidelines. I, I think the person who comes out looking the worst out of all this is Akella Witherspoon, frankly. Because Akella Witherspoon had an injured hamstring, which, totally get, hard to play corner when you've got a tight hamstring. But he he was healthy enough to dress. But he was going to be like, but no, I only want to play in case it's an emergency. Well, like, I'm sorry, but this game was an emergency from the get-go. Like, you had to know that this game was a must-win going into the, the meaty stretch of the rest of the season. And all of a sudden, his hamstring magically healed off the heat that was generated from roasts of starting cornerbacks. And then it's like, oh, I'm just going to take that healing power into my hamstring and be like, hey, coach, I'm ready to go. I've seen this guy. My hamstring can do it. My hamstring can take it. Like that. that's not, and I'm sure the team is like, okay, sure, go right ahead. But every, every former player that I've heard talk about this or talked to has said, you know what? It's the player's decision ultimately. Like, a team is never going to say, you have to play. They can say, hey, do you want to play? Do you feel good? And then they check the doctor. Hey, doctor, is it going to make it worse? Doctor clears you, and then it's really up to you. But no team is going to hear a player say, no, I don't want to play. And they're like, no, you're playing anyway, right? Unless maybe Greg Williams is your defensive coordinator. And so ultimately, this comes down to Akella Witherspoon choosing not to play and then playing and, and I think that the team is definitely filing this in, in the, the memory banks of like why Akella Witherspoon's not going to be a starting
1: corner for the Niners. And here's my question at the, at this stage, and it's it's very sad that like this is the point we're at with Keller Witherspoon. Like, would it have made a difference? Like, no, like I don't, it, I don't think Akela so. Is Witherspoon, here's... yeah, like any better than, like, he's been awful anytime he's in there. I think it would have made a difference in one key
0: area, and that is the type of game plan that Robert Sala would have felt comfortable calling and having his players at least execute to a little bit higher level of a degree. It's because Akella Witherspoon has been in this system now for several years. Robert Sala's defense in 2020 is executing plays and coverages that are consistent with a team that has a core group of players that have been a part of his team for two, three years. Or in one case, Richard Sherman, who even predates that system. It's kind of like the Rosetta Stone of his defense, right? And, and now you are removing Akela Witherspoon from that equation on probably maybe even Friday or Saturday when they're like, hey, can you go? And he's like, no, I can't. And so you create a game plan. You install a game plan thinking that you've got one of those players who knows your defense. And then last minute, you're going to throw in another player who may not know that defense and may not know the calls and checks nearly as well and that's how you get some of the busts i think that we got on on sunday because a couple of those plays were just they looked like it was someone who was not experienced in the system trying to play a relatively complex coverage
1: yeah i mean if you uh you know are a patreon subscriber and you check those videos out um that that we put up on some of the breakdowns that they had on on a few of the big plays and coverages this was kind of a common theme throughout the big plays that they were surrendering you know in the past game where it was Uh, essentially, you know, something that was a little bit more complex coverage wise, because they weren't, you know, just um, making the decision to say, like, okay, we've got some backups in there, some guys that might not be familiar with the system, um, you know, some guys that that are just coming in off the street, like we we were not going to pare things down for them, really, like they didn't fall into a like, let's run our vanilla cover three, let's mix in some cover one and like, hope that that it's enough right um and and just kind of stick with that baseline stuff that everybody's going to be largely comfortable with like they were still continuing to build on a lot of the the more complex like zone pressure stuff that they're doing you know they're they're running a lot more match coverage these days and so there's a lot of rules that go in with that and there's uh yeah just was were, were some plays where those two players in particular like looked confused and and looked like they didn't understand what was going on with the defense and and they were left out of position um and that really came back to hurt them because uh, you know again this was a a situation that was there there were don't get me wrong a couple plays where um it was just a a receiver on the miami side like going up and mossing them right and being a better player than them on that play but there were plenty of other big plays that they surrendered um that were more breakdowns from a mental aspect
0: and I think for a defense to play this bad this early a lot of things have to go wrong. It's not just that these two corners were bad, although that is bad. It's that you have you also have a defensive line that isn't really able to generate consistent pressure without some kind of manufactured blitz. And and so now you've got a quarterback who is in really the prime of his career. <laughs> Fitz Fitz Magic is I mean this is like he is a fine wine. He's aged it. so well. He's, <laughs> he may be the second best quarterback from the 2005 draft. Like, look, look, look at the names, right? You've got Aaron Rodgers at the top, of course. Jason Campbell, Kyle Orton, Matt Castle, right? Of course, Alex Smith is in there. But at this point in his career, with one-legged Alex Smith, where you're literally wincing every time he gets sacked. I was so nervous when he played and he got sacked that first time with Aaron Donald on his back. I was like, oh no, this is not going to end well. But Alex Smith, he's do what what an incredible human, what an incredible story. But you got to think length of career for the last 4 years Fitz has actually been pretty good, like good enough. And and so yeah, I mean you, and he was the last quarterback taken. He's hit a renaissance. But all of these things have to come together for the defense to be that bad. And and I think the, the question on a lot of 49ers fans minds is how much blame does Robert Sala get in this instance? Um, Because I don't know that he gets... If you're one of the fans that thinks that Robert Sala gets the blame here because his defenses are too predictable or too simple, I think that's that's the wrong tree to bark up. He's running some really complex shit this year. He really is. And I think if that's the blame you're going to lay at his feet, that makes quite a bit more sense than he's too simple, he's not a good defensive coordinator. That's, I think, incredibly reductive. I think really, if anything, his 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 fault here is that he kept things too complex when he's mixing and matching and plugging and playing players.
1: So I, I think there there's definitely an element of, you know, maybe you do need to simplify a little bit. And um I, I could certainly see the, like the thought process from Salah bean, right, like with these players, like, are are we going to like, if we keep it simple and we keep it vanilla and we rush four and we go into a lot of these like base drop seven type coverages, um, are we just going to kind of hang these guys out to dry even more? Right. Like, um, be, because that's kind of the, the thing that's, that's tough. Like, um, when you have players in the secondary that are these huge liabilities is it's fairly easy to pick on them. Like when, you know, like if you're sitting back in, and, 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 okay, like we're just going to fall back into our base cover three, like, Okay, well, like we're just gonna go after that corner still. Like we're gonna run route concepts that put that corner in a cover three system, like in some conflict, and 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 go after him still. And so uh, I I don't know that that necessarily is like the answer. I could see him saying like, okay, let's try to show him some different looks. Let's try to do some different things pre snap. Like let's try to force Fitzpatrick, who granted, like is incredibly streaky and and has some games where he's just like fucking on and, and is feeling it. Um, but he has plenty of other games where like he's forcing throws and he's missing things and he's putting a bunch of balls in harm's way and, and just like throwing a bunch of turnovers. And so it's, it's like Jameis Winston's dad. Yeah. And, And so I could see like the thought process being like, let's try to confuse him. Let's throw this some different looks at him. Let's force him into maybe some bad throws or force him at least to get the ball out quicker than he wants to with some of this manufactured pressure, because like, here's the thing. Like, I I think this is really highlights the lack of resources that they have put into the secondary and secondary depth. Their defensive line granted is, is decimated right now. They're missing a lot of their best players that hasn't really impacted their ability to get pressure so far on the season. They are fifth in pressure rate defensively. They're getting pressure on 37.9% of snaps. So they are still getting pressure it is just not enough because they don't have everybody there on the back end. And when you have, again, clear weaknesses in your coverage, like offenses can attack those. It doesn't matter. Like, I think, for instance, like there there are some players coverage wise that are doing very good. I think Tart's been very solid this year. Um, obviously, Fred Warner, we've been singing his praises all season long. Like There are still good players on this defense. It's just easy to avoid them when you have guys like Brian Allen, Jamar Taylor out there. Yeah,
0: I think that's that's the the spending of the resources in the secondary is definitely an issue. It's definitely something that's coming back to bite them. And and I think you think about what they're able to do, how they're able to get that thirty seven percent pressure. Some of it's manufactured pressure. Salah's blitz rates, especially on third down, have been uh, a little high, and his blitzes have been fairly exotic. Right, we talked about the Kings' adjustment to fire zone, um, but Kerry Hider, who is not playing, I mean he's playing like a, a good backup. But he's still able to win some pass rush, block, uh, some, some pass rush snaps. Um, he's certainly not going to replace anyone on the starting front four. But again, you found that relatively easily in free agency. And that's a relatively available skill. Corner, I don't know, is as available as a, a defensive lineman uh, because they're, they're trying to <laughs> sign guys off the street and fill that void. And they just haven't been able to do it. Um, and, and now I think when, when you've got a good defensive line, you can get away with perhaps not spending as much in coverage, but everything is falling apart for the Niners at this point because of the injuries. And that's ultimately how the, the, the dolphins score that many points. Um, and you know, it takes an aggressive quarterback who is throwing a deep shot on a, like a three step drop. I mean, he like took three steps and flung it up there and it was a touchdown. It was absurd or a, a deep reception. Um, but yeah, I mean the that third and twenty two play, you know, another example of just like a quick deep shot, um, and that was and that was a, a bust where you know a, a a corner who thought he was new or who was new um, was just probably confused on which side of the field he had safety help, you know, it, those are the little things that end up costing you games and and that's a really big deal for this defense. But the the overall story of the season, even we thought coming in, was going to be the defense is going to take maybe a step back. Um, and this is an extreme step back, but a step back nonetheless. <laughs> and and the offense, though, is good enough to carry them. But the offense may be the bigger issue in this game. Because we thought Nick Mullins had one of the worst quarterback performances that we have seen in quite a while for the 49ers. And Jimmy's like, hold my beer. Hold my beer. Balance it. Balance it on this
1: gimpy-ass ankle. Uh, and, and hold my beer. It was, it was fucking ugly right like i i mean there's there's just no way around it and uh again like the ankle was i think clearly an issue um but i don't think it explains away everything about this game either so that there were you know i, I think a number of plays where he was clearly trying to protect himself like the the one that comes to mind was uh you know play action pass where they get kind of the late rusher um through the a gap there and he's trying to hit the crosser i think it was to to Debo, maybe I, I forget, but he it's like a a deep crosser that he underthrows, and like the defender has a chance to pick it off and ultimately doesn't. But it, it's clear, like on that play, that he doesn't get everything into it because he sees the pressure coming in his face. He's like scared to put a lot on that ankle to to really throw into it, and, and so he's just kind of like trying to get it out of his hands and get into a position to protect himself. So there, there's definitely plays like that um, in this game where where the ankle was a big deal, but he's having more issues than that. The accuracy is, is terrible. Like in this game, I I think especially highlighted that the decision-making like this, like when I watched Jimmy Garoppolo right now, other than that, basically like that very brief stretch, um, right after he injured the ankle before he actually went out of the game where he was just letting it go quickly, right? Like getting the ball out to his first read. And and again, that was against a, a defense that was terrible. And, and he had that, first look open more often than not. So that was definitely benefiting there. But more often this season, I'm seeing a quarterback that is not processing things quickly. Like he's staring down his first read. And when it's not there, he's too slow to move on. He's not getting consistently to the second and third guy in the rotation. There was a play in, in this game where, you know, after his first look was, was covered up, he looked to an area where there wasn't even a receiver because he had pressure in his face, right? So, like, he just doesn't seem to be feeling comfortable back there. He's not processing things quickly. He's making poor decisions. Like, just everything about his game right now is kind of falling apart.
0: It it does seem like he's got a bit of the uh, David Carr disease where he is so worried about getting hit that it just everything becomes non-functional at that point. Um, and I do think the it's hard to disaggregate the effect of the ankle injury with everything else. I probably put more weight on the ankle, unlike Jimmy. Uh, and <laughs> and I think that that probably has more to do with him needing and wanting to get the ball out as quickly as possible. Um, and so I, it's, I don't know how much you can assign in terms of percentage blame, but overall... His accuracy was off. Both the interceptions, I think, were a result of the ankle. Um, and and when you look at the the way that PFF charts accurate throws, only thirteen percent of his throws were accurate in this game. the the closest The next closest person was Alex Smith in the forty percent range, uh,
1: which is still not good, but like thirty points better than yeah. Garoppolo. Which is yeah, like so. Forties is like normally uh, the bottom of the league, right? When you so like on the season so far. Right now, Jimmy's thrown an accurate throw. This is again based on ball location, um, not just the um, you know whether or not it was actually. It's not a completion percentage or factoring in drops or something like that, right? So this is looking at the actual ball location of the throw. Fifty point eight percent of his throws have been accurate. Only Mitchell Trubisky and Carson Wentz have been worse among quarterbacks with at least fifty throws. So he's yeah, the, the accuracy is a huge problem, and and that's tough when. When he was playing his best, this is something that is his biggest strength, right? Because he doesn't have the biggest arm. He doesn't push the ball downfield. He's not generating big plays with his arm, right? The thing that he was doing well and that fits so well with this offense when everything is clicking is that he's accurate. He's finding open receivers in the short and intermediate area. And because he's placing the ball accurately, he's giving them an opportunity to maximize yards after the catch. And so when suddenly that accuracy goes away, your biggest strength goes away and everything about how this offense is built and structured starts to fall apart.
0: I think last point before we get to something I thought was actually quite interesting in terms of Miami's defensive game plan is the, the, uh, I think the cherry on top of the whole quarterback situation is that Shanahan finally got to put his golden boy, his chosen quarterback in as the backup. And that's CJ Bethard. And his first pass was basically a microcosm for my dude's career and skill it literally goes into the dirt 4 yards short of its intended target on like a 10 yard pass. We're not talking about like a 30 yard pass going 4 yards short. We're talking about, you know, him completely misfiring
1: on like 40% of the pass's air yards. Like this this is bad. Look that yard line really looked like it was painted a little bit too thick. Okay. We needed to get some paint off there. I just wasn't feeling comfortable until I could thin that paint out a little bit. All right. And I need to really settle in that way. Good Lord. And, and this
0: is, I mean, and this is the guy that, that Shanahan wants to win the backup job. This is the guy that Jan, that Shanahan drafted in the third round, traded up for in the third round. This is the guy that, you know, was going to be Kirk cousins 2.0. And, and, and th- that's not it. You know, and, and so you think of Shanahan, you know, you've got Jimmy who's regressing for one reason or another, whether it be injury related or otherwise. And then you've got this backup who is now in. Yeah, you know, he, He's he been in the system, man. He should know this thing like the back of his hand. And and yeah, that it, this is not this is not a good look for him. But I think you, you compound that the fact that Brian Flores and the Miami Dolphins had a really good game plan coming into this game. They had uh, they threw a lot of things at the 49ers offense and this is a game plan where it was very intentionally attacking the weaknesses of the 49ers offense in a couple of key ways. One, they they didn't really pay much attention to the passing game. They know this is a run first team. And so what they did is they they played a lot of bare fronts and bare fronts are where you or uh, double eagle sometimes where you basically cover up the guards and the center with people on the on the defensive line and that means that you're clogging up the middle and then you put linebackers out on the edges in, in nine techniques and that makes it harder to run out to the edge. And so you're basically devoting a lot of resources to the run and, and that's kind of where it started where you kind of try to mess them up. And if, if it ends up being a pass, your interior people end up one-on-one on some of the weakest players for the 49ers, which are your guards uh, and your, your center. And And then on top of all that, you start just blitzing your middle linebacker up the A gap whenever the hell you feel like it especially on play action cuz you end up with a free rusher due to the the protection scheme and it was just constantly attacking the 49ers offensive line all because they knew they didn't really have to worry too much about the wide receivers or the passing game and they were right
1: so the 49ers like get a lot of single high coverages like I'm I'm sure I haven't looked looked at the the numbers specifically like throughout the season but um, because of the formations that they play, like they, you know, uh, obviously use three wide receivers or more, a lot less frequently than a lot of the other teams around the league. And so they tend to see more single high coverages as, as teams look to try to like match that box count. Um, but this was extreme in that regard, even so like, so the, the dolphins were in a single high coverage, on about 87% of snaps. So that's all snaps, right? Um, run run and pass. Um, so they, they were really like just unconcerned about getting two safeties back and about the ability for the, of the 49ers to like stretch the field in, in any way.
0: Great googly moogly. I did not it's,
1: know it was that high. I mean, I didn't, yeah. I didn't chart this
0: one, so I wasn't counting it specifically. It was just one of those things that sticks out in your mind. Like, yeah, they're playing a lot of single high. I did not know it was just like nearly nine out of 10 snaps.
1: Cover cover three on uh, just under fifty two percent of the time, and then cover one on another thirty six percent. So, yeah. and, and to put that in context, so like what, what's so crazy about this is the Niners threw the
0: ball forty times. The Niners were behind the entire game by om- almost the entire game by multiple scores. You would think that they would soften things up
1: as it got later in the game. <laughs> it didn't. I mean, when you're facing a team with three backup quarterbacks, like do you really need to to worry too much about the passing? <laughs> if you have three backup quarterbacks, how many starters do you have? That's, I don't know. Just, <laughs> just a, a question to think about there. Um, I but, will, say, I will
0: say this. David's been sitting on that one for almost a week for a little He's bit. Been, I texted off. He texted, Oscar he that texted me that one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, Oh God. Look, man, that's just, uh, that's where we're at right now. All right. Like, uh, just just a a terrible year a terrible week this is where our team is at uh but but yeah getting back to like you know what what miami was doing defensively like yeah i think they came with like you know a very good plan um and and there were a number of plays too so like granted there were a lot of things that jimmy was doing that were poor on an individual level but um you know everything around him wasn't always great either like there were plenty of plays where uh everything was covered up you know plenty of plays where They were getting, um, issues with protection schemes up front and they were getting, you know, pressured quickly. So like, yeah, offensively things were just kind of a mess. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of that credit does need to go to, uh, Miami and what they're doing offensively. It's just, it's unfortunate to see that they were able to have so much success with that because as we talked about, um, you know, in our, our kind of pregame chat, it like this Dolphins defense was bad going into this game. Like they were one of the worst defenses in football. I think, I believe they were the worst coverage unit. In football and you have this much struggle against that team like it just doesn't look good even with a quarterback that's banged up or even with your backup quarterback like we've seen this team have success in those those circumstances before right they've been able to put together limited success uh you know in the in these kind of like shorter runs with your backup quarterback because when you're playing teams like the dolphins who like really shouldn't be in your league to be honest even even in the situation you're in like yeah, it's just kind of, it's, it's a bad look. It's kind of embarrassing.
0: Yeah. Th- this is one of those games where I think everything avalanched and everything really picked up steam. Once the Niners got down, once Jimmy clearly could not put any weight uh, really to drive the ball. And I think that two turnovers did it. Uh, the fourth and one call was questionable. Great decision to go for it. I thought, but another inside run, on fourth and one is just... We're we're probably going to do a video here in a little bit looking at all the fourth and short calls because this is one... I think if... And and I may be counting them incorrectly. So forgive me if I'm just a little off on the numbers. But I think Shanahan at this point has gone for four or five instances on fourth and short, like fourth and two or shorter. I think he's like converted like one or maybe two. Even if if he's converted two out of five, that's 40%. Fourth and two or shorter is something that teams are converting like more than 55% of the time in the NFL. And and so that that speaks to both play calling, that speaks to the offensive line play, it speaks to a couple different things. And and I think all of it cascaded to it being just a bad day for the 49ers. But I think credit does need to go to Flores, who really took elements of uh, some game plans that they had with New England in Brian Billick. Brian Billick, Jesus. Brian Belichick. Bill Belichick. Let me get... So let me just stop salading their names together, all of the buzz, uh, But the, the uh, Patriots played the, the Cincinnati Bengals and did similar fronts to uh, Zach Taylor's team. And Zach Taylor likes to run a lot of the outside zones and likes to he's off that Shanahan McVay tree. And, and so I think that that's where they pulled some of the elements of the game plan. And really, it proved to be effective. So he's definitely challenging uh, the, the Belichick game plan of taking away what the Niners like to do. And that, and that was run the ball. And when you don't have a passing threat, I think it pays off. Um, But before we get to the quick hits, let's talk a little bit about the offensive line. Because the offensive line has had some issues. But what if I told you that it wasn't that the individual offensive linemen had bad games? Because the offensive linemen, I think, didn't have bad games. This is one of the games where maybe uh, Dan Brunskill wasn't a complete liability. This was a game where Mike McGlinchey got back really to kind of being the McGlinchey that we knew before, which was good run blocker, not a liability in pass protection. Trent Williams is a top five tackle on the year and still had a pretty good game against the Dolphins. How do you reconcile individual performance that is above a line, above the good enough line?
1: And yet, a team that gave up 14 pressures on the day. So it's the it's the difference between losing on an individual level, right? When when you have uh, a clear one on one block and you're just getting beat, right? So that that's a, a certain level of bad. That, and, and and a lot of times there's not a lot you can do about that, right? So when when you have. Uh, you know, say you have a backup offensive lineman in there and he's just getting his ass beat play after play because he's in these one-on-one blocks and he just can't block the guy in front of him. Like there, there's only so much you can do to address those situations. The The thing that was really a problem for the 49ers in this game, and I think is, is kind of been like this, it, it really felt like it came to a head in this game, but is has been something that's popped up, I think throughout the season. and And they're having like more communication and protection breakdowns. There there are just a number of plays where how they have the protection set doesn't make sense, and so they end up with, um, you know, an unblocked rusher when it really is a, a player that they should have been able to account for based on, you know, kind of what they're doing offensively. Um, there are plays where, you know, you have that miscommunication where you have one or two players that are doing something different from the rest of the group. And, and so again, you end up with kind of more of a free rusher. So that is the thing that is is plaguing the 49ers offensive line and their protection in general right now. And, and it was, it happened, I mean, A number of times in this game we highlighted a few of them in in our patreon video but honestly we were sitting there before we we started recording that like and we were picking from a what felt like a dozen plays that that we could just like okay which ones do we actually want to use and highlight here there were a million different examples in in that game and so yeah it's just it's something that that has been a problem and you know the good news is like in theory, that is something that you can address, right? Because it, this is more something that's mental. It's about how they're identifying, you know, the, the defensive front and, and getting those uh, protections communicated. Um, it's not them losing on that individual level. So there is hope there that they can get it addressed, but um, it, it is something that is very much, I think, a concern with what we've seen from them so far.
0: Yeah, I think the, the number that I talked about earlier, 14 pressure, sounds like a lot. But you have to remember the Niners threw the ball, 40 times that puts you at about a 27 and a half percent pressure rate across both quarterbacks. That's not bad. That's actually like kind of within an average of what you might get pressured in an NFL game. Like 10% is you've got like elite era, drew Brees offensive line. You're not going to get pressured at all. 27% is like, yeah, you're getting some pressure, but it shouldn't shut you down. Uh, like once you get into the thirties, forties, and sometimes fifties, that's where your pressure rate starts to get off the charts but, but 14 pressure sounds like a lot, but really on the whole and on the day, it's not a lot of pressure. I think it was some of what uh, the Miami defense did to the Niners protection schemes, but some of it was just flat out bonehead misses. David mentioned the one where, you know, you just, they, they slid the wrong way. They're just like, it's not accounting for just the people on the line of scrimmage and where they're at. And that's like basic fundamental stuff. I don't know who makes the offensive protection calls. I'm fairly certain the center does. For the 49ers. And and so while I don't know that Weston Richburg is um, a much better football player when it comes to blocking people or preventing them from getting to the quarterback than Ben Garland, maybe this is where Weston Richburg is able to do a little bit better where you, you don't see necessarily it on tape with him you know, blocking
1: the Aaron Donalds of the world, but at least he's able to set the protections the right way. And just for a little added context on that twenty-seven and a half percent pressure rate, there league average so far this season is about thirty-one and a half percent. So that's actually below average, right? Um, so which is positive in this case for for the offense. Better line. than average, yeah, better than average. So uh, it, it's yeah, not certainly a, a pressure rate like overall that is some super high concerning number. It's just more the way that they're giving up those pressures is is something that. Uh, is concerning but you know again if suddenly you you can kind of clean up some of those communication issues you get on the same page there you're setting those protections properly and now the 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 players on an individual level continue to play the way they have because I think they've they've been largely very good you don't see a lot of plays where guys are just getting beat cleanly one-on-one right obviously like it happens to every team every Dan every Brunskill player. would
0: like to disagree
1: I mean look uh Dwelly was out there for one snap and was um doing his best fucking Charlie Warner impression apparently, and just getting his ass whooped thoroughly, um, for his one play and then went and sat on the bench the rest of the game. So like, yeah, you have plays like that and, and they're going to pop up and they're not going to go away completely, but like, yeah, you, you, you kind of live with that element of it. You want to be able to clean up the mental mistakes and, and some of these type of issues, because if suddenly like you can reduce that, that 27% pressure rate and you, cut that in half because you just clean up mental mistakes like now your injured quarterback back there maybe feels a little bit more comfortable and and maybe things you know or go a little bit better offensively so um yeah it's it's a problem but hopefully this is one of the few problems right now that it looks like there might be a little bit of hope on the horizon that they can get it corrected all right let's
0: get to some quick hits and then we'll talk about what the next week and maybe the next few weeks has in store for the 49ers but first let's talk a bit about our sponsors first up is indeed even though sports had a break your business did not you have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever indeed is here to help indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because indeed gets you the best people fast unlike other sites indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring you only pay for what you need and you can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts $75 credit at indeed.com/bluewire. This is their best offer available anywhere. They love you. They love you, fans. I talked to the CEO of Indeed. I was like, "You have an office in Austin? I've got a podcast." He was like, "Yeah." You and every other millennial. I was like, "Yeah, but you can give me a discount code." I was like, "He's like, all right, cool." Uh, so if you go right now to indeed.com/bluewire, uh, you can get that $75 credit. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Bet online also brings you this podcast. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, thankfully, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. David, did you know they have a Tom Brady prop? I did not. I thought this this prop was hilarious. The the, the bet is what are the odds? That Tom Brady forgets the downs again this season. (laughs) That is actually a player prop on betonline.ag. I love it. I love every minute of it. Incredible. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to betonline today and take advantage of all the great signup bonuses. Maybe you can put some of that bonus on uh, whether or not Tom Brady is going to forget the downs again this season. Don't forget to use promo code BlueWire at BetOnline.ag. That's BlueWire, all in word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, let's get to the quick hits. David, if you were holding out hope for a Dante Pettis resurgence, if you were just clutching that thin glimmer of hope that he might turn his career around because you wanted to see that sweet, sweet cat celebration in the end zone just one last time. Well, don't. He was a healthy scratch for Kevin White because the team needed a gunner. This is where we're at with Dante Pettis. We need a
1: gunner, so you can't play. I've lost the capacity for hope. Uh, <laughs> Raheem Mostert. He's pretty fun. Yeah,
0: no, nah, he's really, dude. He he was. I think Shanahan said that he was uh, the best player on the field on Sunday, and I mean, I think Fitzmagic would disagree. But
1: I do think Raheem Mostert was the best 49er on the field. Yeah, I was gonna say, maybe, maybe for the 49ers, he was. I mean, uh, like, look, not one to um, really speak highly of many running back performances, but dude had 11 carries, got half more than half of his yards after contact, forced five missed tackles on those 11 carries. Like, it's pretty good. You know, we talk a lot about like offensive line, usually doing, doing most of the heavy lifting for run plays there. But this was like a game where Raheem Mostert was getting it, man. He was making some stuff happen.
0: Yeah. That was one play where you, you saw a lot of what happened. Uh, a lot of the, the Dolphins defensive game plan in one play where they had really a condensed formation, a bare front on the interior of the line. They blitz 44 and 44 has Mostert dead rights in the backfield. He gets the ball and Raheem Mostert just slips the tackle ends up getting five yards on a play where he should have gotten none uh, because Mostert is it's good. good. It's good to have him back. It really is. Uh, We talked a lot about Robert Sala running complex coverages this year and not being that cover three guy that everyone kind of seems to to slap on him. But uh, this season, to put it in context, he's running three different coverages at least 20% of the time and a fourth coverage 10% of the time. That's a varied... Coverage scheme. That's a lot of things for your players to know, a lot of things to understand, a lot of things to call. This is not your "I'm going to run cover three every snap and let my guys beat you" kind of defense. This is complex. Got match principles. Got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, and and yeah, that I think that there's a very illustrative point of the complexities that Salas is bringing to the table
1: this year. I mean, they're, they're still, you know, predominantly single high, but there's a lot more too high stuff that they're mixing in there. There's They're really using a lot more too high stuff in some of their pressure packages as well, which like for, for a long time, it was basically like flavors of fire zone was what their pressure packages entailed, right? Which is your your basic like three deep, three under zone blitz that every single team in the NFL and college runs a version of. Um, and, and, so that was like largely what they did, but they're, they're doing a lot more stuff out of two high looks now. And, and, um, you know, everything that they're doing is just continuing to evolve from a coverage standpoint. And I think the, it on one hand would be very exciting if they actually had all of the players in the secondary that might be able to make that stuff work. Yeah. And finally, our quick, it is a, a
0: quick update on the back and forth, the heavyweight boxing match. That is David and Mai's competition in a dynasty fantasy football league.
1: Da- oh man, sorry. I guess I look at the time. It's time for bed. David, I'm sorry.
0: David and I had a match, a fantasy football match, match. this week. Yeah, <laughs> and and I won. I won. I uh, I beat David. Uh, even even though our teams respectively had the worst
1: and second worst point totals on the week in the league. I still look, won. <laughs> do you want? Do you want to explain why this happened, or you want me to? I'm going to go ahead and 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 just take this because it's bullshit. Uh, I mean, hey, one, man, like a, a, look, a win is a win. You win by a point. You win by a mile. A win is a win. One of the many bullshit things about fantasy football. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So, like, look, it was a bad week. It was a bad week for both of us. Um, Oscar is is getting me without what my f- four of my top players, and then another one of. So I I have. Um, well, we're sounding sound like a Niner fan. Yeah, but this is fantasy football, so I get to complain about it, all right? I, I save <laughs> the complaints for fantasy football and not for the real football. I, I somehow ended up with, like, the trio of Packers players. Um, it was, like, not intended that way. I only drafted Aaron Rodgers, like, initially, but through trades ended up with Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones. So I was missing all three of them. Julio Jones, also out with injury. Um, I had Deontay Johnson was one of the the backup players that I had to throw in the lineup because of the, all the other players that I was missing. He leaves the game early with injury. So I'm down that guy. And then Amari Cooper, like inexplicably, like isn't targeted for basically the entire game. Um, and so, yeah, it was just one of those weeks like that fantasy, football. You're, you're like, why do I fucking do this? Why do I play this every week? Fantasy football is bullshit sometimes.
0: Yeah. yeah, it was definitely rough for David. You know, it's constantly rough, rough all the time. Maybe if it's always rough, uh, maybe it's, you know, you got you to gotta look yourself in the mirror, my friend. Maybe yeah, you you should just quit.
1: quit. You're right. <laughs> Fuck fantasy football. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I did just trade it for Christian McCaffrey, though, so we'll see how that goes, uh, which I still think I got the good end of that deal. Uh, A.J. Brown, uh, Antonio Gibson, and a 2021 first for CMC. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. All right, those are the quick hits. Let's get to what comes next for the Niners because you you with all the injuries that we that the Niners have had this year you think to yourself okay the downside of the injury is that you lose a couple of games but now you hit the rough stretch and you get some of those reinforcements back but at this point it might be too little too late some injuries may not get better I think that Shanahan had a really interesting quote about Jimmy Garoppolo's ankle when he was talking to the the beat reporters after today's practice. And he talked about how Jimmy Garoppolo's ankle may be a season-long issue. He, ben Garland had a an high ankle sprain on August 18th. It affected him all the way through, through to September 13th, the opener. And Shanahan said that sometimes that ankle sprain still affects him now. That's not an, a great prognosis for a man Jimmy Garoppolo. and And I think overall, Shanahan had a really interesting quote and he said, you know, it makes you it makes it hard for you to play at your best. But does that mean you can't play? Lots of guys go out there and they have things to prohibit them from being their best. But if you can play, you still have to go out there and perform. I think that can be applied both to Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I'm, I'm also looking at that side eye at Akella Witherspoon, quite <laughs> frankly. But, but that's, I mean, ultimately, the season goes as the quarterback goes. Yep. Bethard and Mullins are... Uh, backup quarterbacks at best. I think we saw that. That's clear. That should be clear. And and I think if Jimmy Garoppolo's ankle is going to be an issue, then the season's going to kind of be an issue.
1: I mean, there's just no way around it. Like, all of the other things that we could talk about, all of the other injuries and players that they get back, it's really irrelevant if they cannot get any sort of quality production from the quarterback position. Like and And right now, if you look at kind of where things are at, like, Granted, they're, they're bolstered a little bit in some of the other areas because of those games against the Jets and Giants, who are, at, at this point, very clearly, I think, the two worst teams in football, right? So you have some great performances in those games that are, that's kind of boosting everything else up from what I think their probably true level of play is right now. But you look at it kind of the unit grades on PFF, and you go line by line, right? Offense and um, pass blocking, run blocking, receiving, all the defensive metrics. Like everything there is looking pretty solid, right? They're, They're at least average or better in basically every one of those. And then you look at their passing grade, and they are 30th right now as a unit. So you kind of factor in all three of those quarterbacks. Only Washington and Denver right now have seen worse overall quarterback play from their group of quarterbacks than what we've seen from the 49 ers so far. And and when you're getting that level of quarterback play, just nothing else matters. And and like right now they're, they they just got through the easiest stretch of their schedule and they really should have been even with a lot of these injuries at least 4 and 1. Like I ideally they are 5 and 0 oh at this point and they are heading into a very difficult stretch of uh, of really the rest of their season. Um, and so now that you're in this two and three hole and things, the outlook at quarterback isn't looking really any better for you right now. It's tough. Like they're, they're in a very tough spot right now.
0: Emmanuel Mosley is coming back. He got some good news. That'll make the Niners have a functional corner on the other side of the uh, of the football field. Opposite, Jason Verrett, and that will allow, I think, Robert Sala to play some of his more, or continue to play some of his more exotic coverages that he's been playing so far, even with some backups in there. But Sherman is still maybe another week out. I, I don't get the sense that Sherman is like on the fast track back. I, I don't get that sense at all. And, and who knows about D Ford? I think at this point, D Ford, you, um, y- you know how a lot of people basically say the Patriots, you kind of have to pencil in the Patriots as AFC champions until they're not. Um, that's kind of how I feel about D Ford. You kind of have to assume he's not going to play until he does. And, and I don't, I mean, at this point he's, he just, he's not someone that you can count on. He's not. Uh, and now Quan Alexander is going on injured reserve. Potentially. He's got a high ankle sprain as well. And that's not good for a dude. Um, and that's and that's not good. So you kind of you 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 take two steps forward, one step back, or maybe two steps back. Who the hell knows? Um Alexander is probably the injury that you can feel um like the Niners have someone who can step in and take that role because they did last year. Um, but I think that shines a light on some of the roster decisions that the Niners have made that put them in the spot. If you take a zoom out and you think to yourself, okay, this is a championship roster, this is where the draft picks from the Niners in 2017 and 2018 really should be coming to the fore. And where some of their free agents really should be taking that big, that big step and really should be providing value on the contracts they got. But Quan Alexander, I don't think has provided value on the contract that he received. And you look at the draft picks, 2017, 2018, and you've got Solomon Thomas, who's on injured reserve, but was a reserve tackle. You've got Reuben Foster, no longer on the team. Akela Witherspoon, who outside of having the magic power of a healing hamstring, uh, is not a good cornerback. Joe Williams is out of the league, and and that's just in the first four rounds. The Niners' best picks have been later in, in, in that fifth round and later, but the first four rounds are really where you're hoping to, like, that's where you shoot your shot. That's where you're hoping to get your starters. That's where you're hoping to get the players that in two years are going to be the core of your team. Really, none of those players are the core of the Niners team. You look at 2018, it's a little better because you've got Mike McGlinchey, you've got Fred Warner, who was a damn steal. Uh, and Tarvarius Moore, who's good. But then you've got Dante Pettis, Contavious Street. And then DJ Reed may have been the best pick of the later rounds, but he is a Seattle Seahawk. And and so now you've got your big money free agents. Quan is not getting value on that contract. Ford is, D Ford's not getting value on that contract, which is Sherman absolutely got value last year, but he is now injured this year. It seems like all of the things that the Niners have done to try to replenish the, the roster... I mean, that's kind of contributing as to why they're not able to beat Miami big picture because they did need the Nick Boses of the world. They did need Jimmy Garoppolo to kind of shoulder that load offensively. And if that's not happening, this roster is got some
1: holes that are going to be difficult to smooth over if you don't have talent somewhere else. It's it's really kind of brutal looking back at those draft classes, especially. and And this is where like, I mean, obviously we're focused more on just like on the rest of 2020 and and kind of more immediate future stuff in in a lot of ways. But like, this is where, you know, having so few draft picks in 2020 and making some of the decisions to get rid of those picks, like now you're, you're in a spot where you basically have like, hopefully you've got two players from your 2020 draft class that can that even have a chance really of being contributors honestly like um once you get to those later rounds i i am i'm less excited about the 5th round and later guys in this 2020 class than maybe some of the previous ones um yeah it, it just doesn't look good. the outlook doesn't look good as far as having young talent that can come up and and develop into the quality contributors that you need because like i think the key to any any kind of championship level team in this day and age is like, obviously if you have a good quarterback, you know, a truly like elite quarterback, you're always going to be in the conversation, but largely otherwise it is what teams are getting the most value from these rookie contracts, right? If you're getting players that are giving you elite level play for pennies on the dollar, because they're on these cost controlled rookie deals, like, that's where you can really extract a lot of value because that frees up your cap space to be able to use in other places. Right. So they're, they're no longer in a spot where they've got that luxury and the young talent that they should have and and they should be getting value from really hasn't come through right now. And and so, yeah, I think the roster is in a kind of disappointing shape considering, you know, where we hoped we would be at this point.
0: Yeah, and I think that you you look at the the Rams, the upcoming game. We'll do a more in depth preview when we do our pregame Q and A for the the Patreon on Sunday morning. But I mean, Aaron Donald leads the league with seven and a half sacks. That defense, that team is definitely playing like they are back to their Super Bowl form. Jared Goff, he is J- Jared Goff is an interesting quarterback in an interesting comparison to someone like Jimmy Garoppolo because Jared Goff had a Super Bowl year. And and then he had a bad year when the Rams had a bad offensive line. And now you look at Jared Goff in 2020, and and he, it looks like he's dressing up as 2019 Jimmy Garoppolo for Halloween. Because he's got uh, a five... This, is, this uh, is from Josh Norris on Twitter. But Jared Goff has 5.9 intended air yards per throw, which is the lowest of any quarterback since 2016. The offense is bottom half in neutral situation pass rate and pass rate over under expectation. And yet Los Angeles is number seven in offensive DVOA in the passing game and number two overall in offensive DVOA. And so that Niner fans should be pretty familiar with that formula, a quarterback that doesn't throw the ball deep down the field. And that really like doesn't throw the ball a lot, but whose offense as a whole is incredible and powering that team and that's because the scheme and the pieces around that quarterback are, are doing things very, very well. Um, you know, on the one hand, it means the Niners are probably going to lose against the Rams. Uh, on the other hand, I think if that's the glimmer of optimism that, that I want to leave the the end of the episode with, after we've talked for, you know, 50 some odd minutes about all the things that have gone wrong, right, and why the Niners find themselves where they're at, is that there is, because you are not necessarily dependent on that quarterback uh, you can put good things around that quarterback for them to perform well. There can be good things around Jimmy Garoppolo next season if he is indeed the quarterback of the Niners next season. That he can come back to Super Bowl form.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily have the same optimism. I, I, I think, yeah, I mean, uh, Garoppolo, like, right now we've just seen you know, more games where he's been really limited and really dependent on everything around him being very good. And that's, and there, there are a lot of quarterbacks, the majority of NFL starting quarterbacks are quarterbacks that can look pretty solid. If you've got a a competent scheme and you've got talented skill position players to throw to like a lot of quarterbacks can look Pretty good in a lot of games, you know, in in that situation. And I think he's just one of the guys that's kind of fallen into that category. And does that mean, you know, like, I, yeah, that that means that, like, I guess he can end up having a season where everything comes together and, and he can look very good and look like maybe a top end quarterback. But I think it's largely a mirage. Like, I, I don't know that, like, with where we're at right now, unless he has a significant turn in his level of play and, and we start to really see that climb, like. I, I just am not expect I'm, I'm past the point of expecting him to be that guy, right? Like we hoped for so long that he was going to be that guy. The, the initial signs that we saw after that trade were like so promising. There were so many good things that we saw there that just haven't held up under a larger sample. Right. And we just, he just hasn't been that same guy. Um, and I know a lot of people think that last year's, uh, Jimmy was, was very much worthy of that, like Super Bowl level quarterback. Like I was never really on that trend. Like I didn't think he was necessarily that good last year. Like he still had a lot of the same issues that concern me going into this season. And, and we've, I think really seen those when he's been out there. And so I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it was a joke, you know, with the three backup quarterbacks thing, but I think they're, they're really in a, a position where there's not a quarterback on this roster that you feel terribly comfortable with. I mean, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo obviously is the one you're going to have the most hope for. And, um, he, him playing well is really their only chance of getting through because I mean, we, we touched on the schedule just a little bit, but like to really highlight where they're at, right. They they've played the second easiest schedule so far through the first five weeks based on PFF ELO. The rest of their schedule from here on out is the toughest in the NFL like, they, they have one game on their schedule against Washington that is really an, an, a game against a, a crappy team. You know, one of the ones that you look at on the schedule and say, like, they should win this game. Every other game that they play... And that's not till December. But, like, every other matchup on their roster is against at least a competent team. And when you're 2-3 and three against one of the easiest schedules in the league, like, this doesn't leave you in a spot with a lot of hope that they, you're going to be able to, to get through this gauntlet of a schedule... And, and come out of the other end in good shape.
0: Yeah. I think in their current construction, the Niners are not a playoff team, but, and I think that this is where, and that's what I thought their floor was. I thought their floor was like wild card, especially with an expanded, uh, an expanded area. And it was largely based on, on the quarterback being good. I still think that if you put enough good things around Jimmy Garoppolo, he can do well. I don't think that I, we we talked about the offensive line being able to shore up some things that can be coached a little better. We, you know, when you get some defensive players back, even if you aren't looking at D Ford or Bosa, I think Sherman having functional corners is going to help a lot. I think it's going to mean that the Niners are going to, you know, flirt with that eight and eight, nine and seven season. And I do think that nine and seven may be good enough to get into the playoffs. Um, And once you get into the playoffs, I mean, Joe Flacco will tell you it's just about who gets hot. And and so it just it depends on a lot of things. The season is certainly um not lost per se, but it's definitely on life support. And and what, you know, the I think the thing that goes unsaid, unfortunately, is that the the Niners may be better served by never winning another game this year. The the team, you know, that it's never gonna happen because Shanahan won't let it. And, you know, I think this this roster is talented enough, but you know, those people that are like tank for Trevor. Yeah, but the Niners aren't quite that bad unless Jimmy Garoppolo gets shelved. If, he, if Jimmy Garoppolo goes on IR, then yeah, it's definitely tank for Trevor. But um, the Niners are not going to be in a position to get Trevor Lawrence, if, if that's what you're thinking. And so now it becomes a, a whole different exercise at this point. But it's, it's going to be rough going. It's going to be a very, very tough season over the next, you know, eight weeks until December. And it's gonna really, it's gonna be what happens to Jimmy Garoppolo when he's tested, even with that ankle. I think Um, Shanahan's right. You know, if if you're good enough to play, then go play. Um, And and so I think that in that regard, Shanahan is right. And it's gonna be a very interesting season uh, when you thought they were gonna be kind of the floor as playoffs, and now
1: not so much. I mean, we'll we'll find out like very quickly here, right? Like it's not gonna take long. Like if they continue to lose these next few games, right? So, I mean, obviously, they've got uh, the the Rams this week, but, you know, you're going after that on the road to New England, on the road to Seattle. And then you get Green Bay and New Orleans before you're by. Like, once you get through that, like, maybe even midway through that stretch, if you lose the next three games against the Rams, Patriots, and Seahawks, like, it's over. Like, there is, there's no hope of playoffs. Like, you're just not going to be in a position you would literally have to run the table at that point um and it's just not happening like it, it, at a point in which you're two and six like i'm sorry like you're you're not getting to that level of, of playoff team, even with the expanded uh you know playoff field there so we're gonna know within the next few weeks like whether they have a chance of of turning this around or not
0: well, that does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. I hope you're really happy after that one. <laughs> uh, you know, take I, you know, I thought that was really an uplifting one. I hope that you feel, you know, if you're on a run, you got a little pep in your step. If you're on your commute, uh, I hope you didn't drive off the side of the freeway uh, in anything that was uh, overly, overly hard. Um, I hope you've got functional airbags. You know, if you have that Honda recall, make sure you get those replaced. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> you can always follow me <laughs> on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you if they want? that chipper demeanor
1: i mean you gotta follow me on the patreon for all of the 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 extra snark there go ahead and subscribe to that patreon patreon.com slash better rivals um but you can follow a mostly an active twitter account at pff underscore david if you are into those sort of things as well
0: thanks again for tuning in and as always go niners